Well, I don't know what you have been told. But I assure you, I don't mean anyone any harm. Welcome to Never Odd or Evens WandaVision podcast with Julie McDonald, Sandy Burdine, and Will Nicholas as we explore WandaVision. Greetings, friends. Uh, this is uh, the final episode of the WandaVision podcast, episode nine, um, the series final. Uh, and um, we are here to explore those um uh, issues uh, that we find around grief and trauma, um, and and I guess this will be our cap of the whole series, and um, it's been a wonderful journey, as has been our practice. I'll start with a synopsis. Uh, Wanda battles Agatha, and Vision fights his sword counterpart as Hayward launches an attack on Westview. The events of WandaVision come to a head, and the destinies of all who have taken place are determined. Wanda faces a final showdown. Um, against Agatha, who has infiltrated her creation, uh, while Monica and Jimmy fight to protect her uh, as the series closes and Wanda's illusions begin to unravel. Um, I was a bit sad that Darcy's um, little um, railroading car accident wasn't included in the synopsis there as well, but uh, um, how did we find uh, this final episode as we explored it, uh, Sandy and Julie? So many feels this week. <laughs> it was an emotional episode, wasn't it? Mm. A railroad, rail, a railroad journey, a, a roller coaster journey, and yeah, it was kind of an end, but there was also the possibility of a new hello as well. So, what that might mean, I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was a wonderful episode and a really um, emotional episode. I think it takes me back to a a very tender place in myself, you know, from childhood to now, where I, you know doesn't take much to make me feel just very deeply sad so uh no it was uh, it was great great episode great drama in amongst all that it's um it's rare in science fiction to be able to get such great drama that actually uh, really takes our emotions and to have those dynamic special effects where people are flying and things are happening and bursts of color so so it was a really interesting combination of of action and drama and emotion all kind of wrapped up into one one big episode well, i think you need to have um fairly deep relationships having been formed between characters to get to an emotional place like I, th- I think I think it was emotional because we'd spent nine weeks grappling with this relationship between Wanda and Vision and so when it got to the end of that um, it, it was deeply emotional I think if they hadn't spent the time you know if they were more two-dimensional then you wouldn't feel the emotional response we did I think well, and I think that's what happens, isn't it? When characters are well drawn and when they're three-dimensional, you create a, a far deeper relationship with them. Uh, and that certainly happened here, I think. And it's interesting you say that because in real life that occurs as well. Um, 
the Monday before last, I got a phone call um, and, and and a call out to go to um, a pastoral visit. Um, uh, there was a man who was dying in one of the local retirement villages, 90 years of age, and I'd never met him before and I didn't know him before. But I went and sat with him in the final moments of his life and I met with his family and they asked me to conduct a funeral, which I did today. And um, as I'm hearing the stories of his life, this person who could very easily be two-dimensional, you know, in, in, in only having just kind of met them and only fleetingly, um, I found that it was a really moving experience to actually um, be be the person who actually communicates this this person's life and and the, the hope and the sorrow and despair that comes with, with uh, the end of a life. Uh, and, and I... As I was watching this, I think that was the big feels for me out of this was that um, there was just no way um, this was going to be a happily ever after story. And as each moment went onwards, it became clearer and clearer that there was going to be continued loss. Yeah, and I think that's that's always there in the background, isn't it? And I think as each, you know, it's that beautiful layering that this writer has done and, and director as well in bringing it to life where it, it kind of feels like, the you know i guess the fairy tale is 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 kind of very fragile on the surface but of course reality is rising from the surface of the water until it just becomes more and more real as we go from episode to episode um i i wonder you know at the beginning or we we see the beginning of this whole thing ha- happening with um wanda going in to um, to, to collect his body and not being able to take it and then um, starting this whole scenario off. And clearly at that stage she's lost him at that point. He has died at that point and her grief is extraordinary and creating this chaos effect. Um, but by the end of the ninth episode, I think what's happened too is her working through. So she's, you know, the family she was never able to have with Vision and the relationship and being parents together and all those wishes and dreams, unfulfilled dreams they've had together. In By those last scenes, she's kind of able to let go of those things. You know, when they kiss the boys and leave them upstairs knowing what's about to happen, um, it's almost it's almost like she's found a way to deal with the reality of this, and she she's able to move on. So it's I mean it's a it's a new grief for us because we've just watched the story in, but I think for for them it's kind of a the end of the working through phase a bit. What don't you think about that, Julie? I think so, but I think it's really it's really interesting too because there's a piece of the puzzle missing. For, for vision in all of this that you know in 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 her you know recreating him he's not sure of of who he is and of course she just you know she says those beautiful words about you know that he's he's the memory um he, he's the part of the mindstone that um that lives in her and it's you know uh yeah, beautifully said, and I, I think it's kind of speaks to that idea of um, it's, and I think I've probably said this before, but there's, you know, there's no love without grief, and of course, our, our deepest and closest relationships, um, 
echoes of people and um you know I, I know I've I've still got a recording of my dad's voice before he died and 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 that really I thought I've only got one so now I've made sure I've got several of mum you know so while she's still here you know it's yeah those those things are of course they they never leave us really with those deepest relationships I think and Vision asks that question he says what what am I like he's he's face to face and and and, um and Wanda responds with those words you are um my sadness and my hope um and um and often when I am reflecting with people about what is the purpose of a funeral service um uh, you know there is that sense in which the funeral service combines this idea of sadness and and hope um as fascinating as we were talking before and I'm interested to get your reflections on this is that we talked about the fairy tale and the happily ever after and the reality, which is actually not happily ever after. Um, and a lot of people who potentially aren't religious or not working with a, with a, um, a, a framework um, from that perspective um, are kind of stuck with the idea that there's a fantasy that says that there's something more than what we see or there's a reality which is just cold and stark and, I mean, it's a fascinating um, duality that gets thrown up here. I think what families often do as a result of that is want to have the celebration. So we're going to have a funeral. It's going to be a huge celebration of the person's life um, because they wouldn't want us to be sad. And so what we don't do is actually attend to the underlying grief that's there because, of course, there is much to celebrate in a life and, and no one wants to pretend that that isn't true. But And what I often say to people doing a funeral, what I'm doing a funeral is we need to do two things here. You know, we need to celebrate all that has been wonderful and the gift of this person at the same time as attending to our own deep sense of loss and sadness at their passing. And we have to hold those two things in tension for it to be real. Um, and I think people find that really hard because they don't want to actually have to step into that place that Wanda has been in the whole nine episodes. Yeah, I, I I think it's fascinating this idea of relationships, and of course, you know, the the, the truth the truth is that we we come into the earth, you know, alone, and we die alone at some level, and we have these, you know, the, whatever our relationships are, whether they're positive or negative, you know, we we imprinted with something of those relationships it's kind of embedded within us or um embossed in our story if you if you like and you know it's it's memory that uh that stays with us and and we we keep coming back to particularly if we've lost somebody in those relationships that might have been more difficult or hard or um, we come back to moments, significant moments in relationships and, and grapple. Um, Julie, when, you, when you're counselling people, it's memory that really is what you're working with, isn't it? Well, of course, because ev- everything about us is, you know, we, we think we're kind of, you know, we think, we, we think we're kind of solid form. That's how we, you know, and right now we're sitting in the chair and we are, but, we're only ever what's what comes to mind in in the moment and 
you know, and things things come back to us, things come, you know, stay with us and reflect back something of how we've been formed, I guess. Um, and yep. and that's where that conversation, that's where that conversation between um, Vision and oh, himself really scene. is quite profound. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, they're both trying to ascertain which is the true vision, and, and you know, words like that, that come out that kind of go, "Well, this is my this is my programming. Um, my I've, I have a programming directive, um, which are, is is part of that. You know, who am I going to be, or what what am I here for? But I, I also found it fascinating. I mean, I guess, how did you guys feel when you looked at that that scene of vision confronting uh, himself? He says a, a little bit, um, and I don't know if I've got all this down, but, you know, not a single ounce of original material is how he's, mm. you know, because because he's been bought back via memory, not by, you know, mm. not by his original form. And, um, yep. and, and then, you know, vision, I don't know what to call him, vision two or white vision. White vision. White yep. vision. You know, um, <laughs> This idea that I haven't retained memory, you know, mm. that's just a fascinating scene of a transference. You know, they share all all of yep. those memories, and they they they're split there because one contains all the memories but no solid parts. The other one is all solid parts but with no memory, mm. and so they actually are incomplete without each other. They're both both incomplete and there's this amazing conversation about the, the ship of Theseus. Mm. I don't know if you've ever come across the ship of Theseus before. but Yes, could we talk a bit about that? Because I, I, was, I, I don't really yeah, know yep. much about the ship of Theseus and I got a bit lost. So so it's an ancient sort of one of those ancient Greco-Roman re- language legends, um, you know, sitting in there with Homer and the Odyssey and all of those. And and, and so Theseus sets out with, with their crew to, to travel around the world um, and they, they leave the harbour with a ship. But as they go, um, parts of the ship um, rot and decay and break down. And so they replace it board by board. And by the time they finish their voyage, there's not a single part of the ship that left the harbour that arrives. But because it's been changed plank by plank, um, it is both still the same ship and not the same ship at the same time. Um, uh, and, and I, yeah, I, I always find the story of the ship of Theseus to be one of those things that just gets gets me very uh, mentally entangled. That that's absolutely right. So I wonder sometimes with the ship of Theseus, um, you know, I, there's a there's a feeling that that in life we're the same. I mean, I have. I have uh, skin cells all over my body that actually, you know, are there, but I've, I, I probably don't have any um, skin cells left that were my original skin when I was born. And, and in, in fact, my whole body has probably changed and been been changed over cell by cell over the last 50 years. Uh, so in a lot of ways, life is a bit like the ship of Theseus. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. And it, what it brings me to in, in relationship to uh, to grief and my experience of grief is that you you actually keep recreating the person depending on what's happening for you in your own life at a given time in in those close relationships uh you kind of reimagine somebody close and and I think you start to see yeah 
my experience is I've sometimes seen qualities that I perhaps didn't see as clearly uh, when the person was alive. Um, Communities like the church and and sporting groups and other things are often like the ship of Theseus. Uh, Members come and go uh, and over... You know, if you have a, a church community that, that can stretch its memory back 100 or 150 years, then there is definitely, you know, not a single person who was there at the beginning. And yet there is a memory that remains. There's a corporate memory that actually travels with the community that is actually greater than the, the makeup of its parts. And I think genealogists will tell you this too. You know, if you think about... Um, families that that know that they had someone that died in the First World War and they'll go and visit the graves in France and it's incredibly moving. But, you know, that person died 60, 70 years before you were born. So they were never part of your life, but they were part of your grandparents' lives, you know. And so you carry that, you know, even though, even though that war is 100 years ago, it's still kind of alive inside of us. Um, and that's why, you know, things like the Stolen Generation are so in our faces and so close because it's not even a generation ago. It's people who are still alive um, and, and it still matters very deeply to those, you know, to those people who's, for whom it was their real-life experience. And I, I, th- I think because we're not good with change, it interests me in terms of collective memory that, that people will, will kind of hang on to a memory and 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 try to kind of recreate recreate reality as as something was long ago in, in a context that it really doesn't fit anymore um and 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 there becomes i guess a, a kind of a rigidity to to create life to create something new because again you know people are not good with with change and that's really what Wanda has done here in creating her mindstone memory of the vision um and so we've actually got these two two very different versions of the same or two halves of the same 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 entity um, one made up of the physical construct that's been given life, and one and both of them been given life by Wanda, because um, Hayward has used Wanda's energy to actually make his his machine work. Um, so yeah, like I, I I find that 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 whole idea that am I am I a physical being? Am I just the sum of my memories? Am I the sum of my parts? Like these are, these are really. Um, deep questions that um that really i mean we're not going to find any answers to but they're they're fascinating to allow a series like this to to bring them to the surface well they're the they're the questions of life aren't they the questions of existence and who we are um which is why they're so powerful when when he articulates them because because that is so for any of us you know when we're in our relationships you know other people perceive us in a certain way and to them we're their perceptions but you know who we are in our real selves um is different um so so relationships even without even if they're not with people who are you know made from other substances and with a mind stone are often 
complex. That's why relationships break down, isn't it? Because our perception of the other person and what we expect them to be isn't often what their person's able to deliver. But I think these these two versions of vision do provide a really interesting opportunity to to reflect on on this idea that we we have this this physical form that we we come into the world with and we encounter uh, the world through our through our senses and 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 via our senses. In everything we touch and see and the relationships we encounter, there's there's that that physical, I guess, um, tool that we have uh, via um, our, I guess, our mind and body, and and then everything that that reflects back to us, which creates how we see ourselves and how we see others, and um, and how, you know, I, I think it's I think it's true that we want we we kind of we see our our bodies we see ourselves as solid and and we want our memories and our thoughts and what we think and feel to be just as solid as our physical form and of course it doesn't really work that way or or if it does it probably doesn't serve us well. And there's a sense in which we we want to, like we can we swing. I find myself swinging like a pendulum here. I want to go well. Uh, you know, I am my memories and my meaning and 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 all of these more ephemeral things. Um, but I also, you know, um, struggle to get a grasp on these kind of spiritual or soulful concepts. Um, and so I, I swing back to say, okay, well, everything is just what it is. Everything, you know, and. And and I I think um, I think that that's the real struggle that we find ourselves in as human beings is that um, you know we want things to be to be real, um, but all this other stuff, this memory stuff, just doesn't it 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 doesn't feel real. We can't can't get a grasp of it. No, and I, you know, and it's you know I think we've spoken about this before. You know, the the idea that. Um, you get a family to talk about a particular event and nobody's got the same memory. You know, everybody's got a, a version of events and always, always find that fascinating that not even two people really see it quite the same way. So, yeah, it's what, yeah, I... And it's affected by our relationships with people too, you know. In in, I, mean, I can think of a particular situation where another person I know has a very different memory of a particular friend that's no longer with us because she had a very difficult relationship with this person, whereas I had a wonderful relationship. So it's very difficult for us to talk about this person because we both see them entirely differently. So our story of them or our memory of what happened when they were around is quantifiably different um, and it makes remembering together almost impossible well you, this this see this is one of the things I, I find really fascinating when it comes to when it comes to this very thing of, of conflict and and people having a, a different version of events that's formed uh, formed 
via their relationships with others and and the perceptions that they have i mean in all of their perceptions you know at, you know we we all have preferences you know we have people that we feel more drawn to and other people that we feel perhaps more aversion towards and and it really really gets in the way of us being able to often have compassion for something that's different um to us and the questions asked in the middle of this episode uh, can you fix it like we want to fix things we want to we want to and and that's i think that's the tragedy as this episode's going on is that i'm recognizing um that there is there is no fixing this situation this situation um is is i think there's a there's a there's a dreadful doom in this situation that actually says that 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 um it, it the reality that keeps looming over the top is vision is dead. These boys don't exist, um, and and Westview is has been imprisoned, um, and um, and and it's unfixable. I, I love that scene. It was really stark. Where after it's all over, Wanda is walking back through town, and the hatred um, on the faces of the people there. There are consequences. For her actions that will that will never be recovered from it, this this cannot be fixed. That's right. And the choice she has to make in that middle part where she decides she's going to um, open it up and free them all because she's horrified by what she's done to these people, and then immediately realizes, of course, if she does that, then then you know, Vision and the children are splintering apart and disappearing before her eyes. So the only way to to have the family is to entrap these people you know there's consequences in this is the thing about choices and I think we're living with this at the moment um in a very real way with COVID is you know every action has every choice we make has has repercussions um and it's very hard to uh you have to you have to say that if you're going to make a choice you have to be able to be prepared to live with whatever the consequences of it are and I think a lot of people aren't um don't want to have to make a choice or don't want to have to be responsible for the choices they make. Well, I think I think it's something that really stands out for me there is this idea of individualism and, you know, we, we live in uh, a, a culture, a, a capitalist culture, a privileged culture uh, where we have sustained um, a very comfortable uh, standard of living for a very, very, very long time. Um, where people are really encouraged to think, buggy you, Jack, I'm all right, um, and uh, and really there's a there's a price to pay and a cost when you bring people in touch with a reality that actually belongs to all of us and where we do kind of see, uh, you know, where, where we see cause and effect uh, with COVID and... Uh, and infection and how people respond to that and and there are you know you know I mean I've never been uh, you know I've never experienced a war um, or a depression like my parents did and so that kind of idea of pulling together and um, and and sacrifice for others is on, on a really collective level um, where we're seeing, you know, in our communities, in Victoria, in Australia, in the world, um, 
it's really new for us and we don't really know like people are resisting it, I guess. There, there are, there are, there. Well, I think it's split, isn't it? You know, like some people are going, okay, yep, uh, let's do what we need to do, and other people are finding that really difficult. And the irony, of course, is that COVID is like a little glimpse of what is yet to come, because because it, the the point is everything to do with climate change is exactly the same. Either we all get yeah. in there together and you know make the changes that need to happen, or we're stuffed. So, you know, either we do it as a community and a, a global community. And there's a sense in which privilege really twists hope, doesn't it? I mean, you know, I, I hope I'll get that job. I hope that um, the product I want to buy in the in the supermarket isn't out of stock. Uh, I hope that, um, that the rain won't fall on the day that I want to have a picnic. Or I hope that the guards will let me across the border so that I can flee this war. Um, I hope that... The rioters won't burn down my shop. Um, I hope, I hope that I will be able to keep breathing without a ventilator because um, I've contracted a disease. We we end up with these very different understandings of hope, and it's not necessarily. And I say privilege. It's not about nations or countries or cultures because, you know, I, I hope that my 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 partner won't won't strike me tonight if I don't get the deal right, the dinner right. You know, like there's. They're, sometimes I look at my hopes from my position of privilege and I actually say to myself, wow, you know, like I, I have no idea what it's like to hope. Oh, I think that's so beautifully said, Will. Yeah, I, I think um, privilege kind of probably gives way to thin hope, you know, hope that's that's pretty skin deep Um when it comes to uh, the more challenging uh, lives that some people uh, live on a day-to-day basis. So it's really good to be reminded, you know, what, what, is, what is individual hope and what is collective hope um, and, and how do we understand it and, ha- and how do we ensure we're not kind of kept from understanding uh, hope and and what this is. So you know to see that microcosm of a moment, where you know where the force field is is breaking down and and vision is about you know is about to one moment he's there and in a moment he won't be, um, you know that kind of moment of individual hope echoes a collective hope that um, that that we might be experiencing for the planet um, and for the survival of, uh, of our species. And it's, it's interesting it comes to a crux between Wanda and Agatha because we get this sense that um, Agatha's hope here is to become more powerful. So she hopes to take um, the power, understand the power that Wanda has and to take it for herself. Whereas Wanda's hope is that she might be able to continue to live in love with with Vision and with the, with the children and 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 I love that line in that where um, Agatha says, "Give me your power and feel no pain." Like she's kind of putting putting her hopes on the line there and saying, "You know, we can both get what we hope for here. Um, I'll become powerful and you'll live happily ever after." Um, and 
and it's it's actually quite a flattering promise, isn't it? It's quite a it, I can see it as a very large temptation. I again, I I what I thought last week about you know there being the power of love and life and for Wanda and the power of death for Agatha, I think is echoed again in this uh, in this. It's really. Um, it, it really is about the power to end things for, for Agatha. Mm. Um, I I would love to go back and talk about that stuff at, at the Salem witch trials and what all of that meant and, you know, her history. She's obviously, it picks into things right in the heart of the American psyche, I think. Yeah, it, it interests me, this idea of creating, um, you know, we, we kind of create, these uh, characters or archetypes who who are um, just kind of evil, you know, it, there's nothing else to them actually. They're not in relationship with, with really with anybody or anything. They don't have any kind of uh, emotional relationship with anything other than what, what they might be after and even then you might question whether that's a relationship such as Agatha's um, wanting to take and seize power and it's really interesting when she's holding that little red object you know of you know an intimate moment of it's mine it's mine but what what is yours what is that actually Um, because you're not in relationship with anybody and I, I find that really interesting because if I think of people who um, whose behaviour is is so um, uh, dangerous, might be considered to be evil or wicked or um, or uh, vile or whatever it might be. Some some of the behaviour that somebody might exhibit, but then you see them in relationship with those they love, and there's another side. To people, and if only you know, if if only it was as simple as Agatha being as as thin and two dimensional as that, you know, it's you know, generally speaking, it's and they've really solidified that trope for us with a couple of really simple things. Like I don't know if you noticed the feet under the car when she was <laughs> yes. um, thrown across. You know that that drew me straight back to the wicked back witch, to the of, wicked the witch of the yes, West. Yes, that was know? so gorgeous. Um, she's yeah. there. Um, and and they they used that same kind of trope um, last week when or it was it the week before um, you know I killed Sparky too you know you and your little dog too you know that 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 kind of there's that there's that sense that she she's they're they're casting this this role this image of the wicked witch and and they're giving us these subtle hints that she is this unredeemable oh, that's, irredeemable that's wicked right. witch and, and of course Glenda the good witch of the west. You know, here we are in West Side, and the Good Witch of the West is the red, big red-headed witch, wow. in in um in Oz. And of course, here we've got so it is. There's the Scarlet Witch. I, I was thinking too about the chaos. You know, your magic is chaos. Her magic comes out of emotion and love and relationship, which of course is chaotic. I mean, you know, there's nothing about relationships that isn't messy. Um, there's nothing about families that isn't m- messy. Um and complex and difficult and that creates chaotic magic you know whereas whereas uh if it's all if you're not in relationship and it's all about power that is much more kind of cutthroat and and black and white or black for that matter um oh sandy i love archetypal i love love that idea of um what did you say chaotic magic 
of relationship, you know. Well, that's I mean, great. she that's what that's what um, Agatha says to her. You're, this is chaos magic, Wanda, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and of yeah. course, you know, have you ever met a relationship that wasn't in some on some level a little bit chaotic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, do we? Do, have you ever met the normal family? I know I've said that to you know when people you meet people for a funeral and you're meeting a family for the first time and they're kind of a bit embarrassed because there's you know, the, you know the cousin that we don't talk to or there's this kind of problem in our family and I usually roll my eyes at that point and say oh well I haven't met the perfect family yet so you know <laughs> just add yours to the list of you know families that are complex because we all are well but I, I really love that and I love the idea of um of the chaotic magic of relationships that's just a lovely you know which reminds me of you know all the differences between people in in families and all the little quirks that that families have you know each of our families will have these weird little strange quirks that um that can make life really difficult or really wonderful and uh and yeah there's a there's a i think there's a beautiful intimacy to the chaotic uh magic of relationships and it's interesting that that magic in this case comes from for, or is surrounded by this book called the dark hold and we get a couple of glimpses of it um now this is a bit of a bit of a mcu easter egg kind of thing because the dark hold also appears in the agents of shield series in 2013 uh, and it causes all of the mystery all of the misfortunes during that season to take place and it's taken back to hell by the Ghost Rider at, in that series. So, you know, that, that's it's, it disappears then. And then it reappears again in the Marvel Runaways series um, in the possession of a, of a magic uh, magician called Morgan Le Fay. And so there, there this, this book keeps trying to assert itself and, uh, and reappearing and it keeps coming out of, out of the places where it gets cast to. It, it's interesting that it's also referred to um, as the Book of Sins, um, the dark hold is and and so there's this kind of idea that no matter how hard we try to actually get rid of darkness it does keep reappearing um, around the place well the the thing that comes up for me there is the imperfection of us all you know and uh, and that you know we we're here to be together and we're here to I guess, share those imperfections and be reflected back to each other to become better people. Um. And I think, I mean, you know, this is archetypal again. You can't have dark light without darkness. So for, mm-hmm. for Agatha to end up with all the power of darkness and all the power of life and love is an impossibility really. You know, you can't. You can only see a candle in the in, in when it's dark. If it's a if it's a light, then the light is diffused amongst all the other light in the room. You know, it's mm. it's it's um we only we only really understand true joy because we've known grief, or we really only experience grief because we've had love in our life. If you don't love anybody, then you're never going to grieve over anybody. So, you know, those things have to be kept in tension with each other all the time. They can't mm. become one thing. Um, and and I think that's why you can't have Agatha ending up with all of Wanda's power and taking over her because the, the universe can't sustain 
darkness and light all in being in the one no place. I was worried there for a moment Sandy it looked like she was it looked like she was going to get the lot I thought it can't possibly be <laughs> there and was in, a moment in fact, <laughs> yeah well in fact you know uh, you know a candle in a light room is easily overlooked um, and forgotten um, but in a dark room the candle is a powerful force that actually creeps into every corner of the room like and uh, so it's a fascinating thing to see that the darker it gets, the lighter, bright, brighter light in that space becomes. It's a well, and and yeah. that would be true, wouldn't it? Of of your of your kind of pastoral roles that that's that's part of oh, absolutely that's part of what your um what your role is with people carrying the light. Mm. I think that's right, holding the light mm. in the dark places where people are unable to hold it themselves. I think a lot of the time. Now, I was fascinated by the way that Wanda does defeat Agatha. Um, she's throwing her power at Agatha, giving her a sense that she is winning and overcoming, uh, at the same time casting it past her and placing the runes on the outside of the, the force field, the hex, so that when the moment comes for Agatha to use her power, she can't use it. Um, and, um, and and I found that that there was an interesting interplay there between letting evil think it's one uh, in order to actually create a prison for it to be held in. And, uh, and I, I found some, in, some, some connections with that in the crucifixion um, that, 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 that evil often or darkness is often at its most vulnerable when it, when it thinks that it's actually been successful at um, taking over. Absolutely. That's very definitely there in the crucifixion. And I think that's why, we talked the other day about Easter Saturday being really important, you know, that, that kind of moment mm. where it's all darkness and the light has gone, um, you know, to not run away from that but to remember that um, in that in that part of the Easter story um, before the light comes back at the resurrection. And that's why, you know, churches that do things like the, um, the Easter Saturday vigil where the light returns, it's such a powerful thing. Mm. Um, for the light to return. Also, weirdly, reminds me of we, we watched Aladdin again, my daughter and I, the other day, and it reminds me of Jafar at the end when nice. he's trying to get all the power and 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 Aladdin and then and Aladdin points out that there's one more powerful than him, the the genie, and and he gets cast into the um uh into the into the um into the lamp and Aladdin yeah. and and the genie says, you know, uh, enormous power. Itty bitty little living That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And C.S. Lewis covers it as well in the Chronicles of Narnia. You've got the Wicked Witch actually defeating Aslan and believing that it's all done but but breaking um, the the stone table, um, misunderstanding the, the balance that exists between light and darkness that's existed as part of the creation narrative of that universe. Yes. Well, it's in there in the start of Genesis, isn't it? There's that dome and the, and the darkness is on one side of the dome and the light is on, on the other. One might say the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never overcome it. Um, it's a it's a fascinating interplay. So um, Agatha's Agatha's gone, or Agatha's Ooh. what's happened? She's well, she's still there in that very strange. You know, when she touches her forehead and she goes back to being that weird woman again. She's imprisoned in Agnes. She's now the nosy neighbour for all time. Although there's an interesting interplay there where. Um, she says, you're going to need me for what's coming. And Wanda says, well, uh, if I need you, I know where you'll find, I know where to find you. You'll be right here. Um, we do have some 
um, forecasts. So uh, it looks it, there will be a series um, that actually talks about um, uh, Agatha, the House of Harkness. Um, so there, it looks like there might be some original backstory um, that actually fills in some blanks there, maybe before this. Um, that'll be interesting to have a look at. Uh, and we we got a very interesting middle credits scene. Uh, did did uh, you you slip forward through the credits and catch this one? What, yeah, what did you make of that? Well, see, I don't, I don't, I need you to tell me because I don't know enough about um, the Marvel universe to understand who that character was that was interacting with Monica. Did you see that bit, Julie? Remind me just the middle, the here. middle credits scene. No. Oh, you missed it. Go on, no, go on. We'll explain it to her. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the one in the, in the, up in the mountains. Where where uh, Wanda is up in up in the mountains, far away from anything, in a cabin by herself. You saw that bit at the very very, very, very end oh, of this one. Oh no, I missed that one. No, oh, there was oh. another one. So, so, maybe, so maybe there was. Well, yeah, there two. There, so, so so you've got you've got um you've got um the 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 woman who comes to see Monica. I think is that I right? Think, is that yes, right? and um, she turns into a yep. green character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Apologies so, to so, the so, fans not knowing who that is. Yeah. So this green alien is one of the Skrulls uh, and they're refugees um, in, a, uh, I guess, a, a conflict that's trying to exterminate them um, on behalf of the Kree. Uh, and uh, so these, this conflict's actually illustrated in Captain Marvel. Um, and so the return of the Skrulls to actually come and talk to uh, Monica is fairly significant because... Uh, the Kree Skrull conflict was something that um, was part of the Captain Marvel series, which her mother uh, and her aunt, uh, Captain Marvel, um, are actually uh, deeply in involved in and engaged in. So it forecasts that we're going to see potentially a movie or, or something um, that will include um, uh, Monica in the future, um, um, up in space, dealing with the shape-shifting Skrulls, who everyone's a little suspicious of, and the Kree who just want to exterminate them at all costs. By that very end one, you've got Wanda far away up in the mountains by herself and she's having a cup of tea um, and then at, then it, it goes inside and she's inside studying this book, this Darkhold book, um, and there's another ghostly figure watching her. Um, yeah, you, you, with Marvel movies, you've got, to, you've got to go into the credits, otherwise you miss the forecasts. I know. So I usually um, go and watch them um, using the computer, so I can just mouse straight through to the uh, to the to the poignant part. Um, but uh, that that's a forecast for the next movie, which is coming out sometime uh, next year, which is actually um, uh, called. Uh, duh, 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 duh. Um, now I've just lost it. Multiverse of Madness. It's going to be having Doctor Stephen Strange, uh, who's played by. Um, um, what's his name? Cumberbatch, um, uh, Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, so, and and it's also engaged with the new Spider-Man movie, which is actually uh, either just come out or about to come out, where Spider-Man makes a wish um, to Doctor Strange to say that that he wished that that certain things never happened. So he tries to erase his regrets using magic and instead breaks the multiverse and actually creates um, all of the multiverses to collide. So we end up with all of the different Spider-Mans who are being played and all the villains being released on the world at the same time. Um, so that'll be an interesting movie. 
Um, so there's a there's a whole lot of the next phase of Marvel Universe is all going to be about um, impinging realities, realities colliding with each other, and timelines breaking into each other. Um, so it'll be a fascinating next phase of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, pl- plenty to get our teeth stuck into in the future. There's one thing that Agatha said that I wanted to to raise. Um, yep. So. Uh, what did you say? She she says yeah at the very at the very end she says oh god you don't know what you've done. What's what's she referring mm-hmm. to? Well, uh, uh, she's made use of dark power. So in in effect, uh, you know what we've said about about um, Agatha not being able to hold light and darkness together. It needs to be equally as true for Wanda, who's now actually holding darkness and light together. And so there's a massive uncertainty about what that means. I mean, if when 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 darkness conquers light, sort of light becomes stronger. Uh, what happens when light conquers darkness or or subsumes the power of darkness? Um, and and I think that's what what's being alluded to there. That there's actually now a real, I guess, soul danger for for Wanda. If if or as she continues to explore and grow in this power, um, um, I think it's that Nietzsche statement: "Be careful those who slay monsters, lest they become them." You know, like that. There's a frightening warning in that about the longer we stare into the void, the more the void stares into us. I think that they're both both statements of Nietzsche, which are um, really really they hurt my brain. I think that's right, and I think that's the danger for people who work in in um, in care roles with people that are deeply damaged and all those sorts of things. I think that's definitely true. Well, I think that brings us to the end. Um, a, a sad end, uh, um, but but one filled with more questions, more hopes, more sadness. Um, and uh, I, I want to thank you both for uh, participating in these uh, nine episodes. Um, should uh, these topics arise again, which I'm sure they will, uh, are you happy to come back and, and do some more? Oh, absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> totally in next time. We've had so much fun. Thanks so much, Will, for um, having me. I've had a ball. It's been lots of fun. And I just want to give my thanks to you, the listener. Uh, It's been now two years that we've been running Never Odd or Even as a podcast, and it's been uh, a fabulous journey in faith and fiction. Uh, I'd love to uh, get your ideas and thoughts about where we might go next. Um, Be assured that we'll be returning in 2022 in February with all of your favourites. Voyjourn with Lindsay and Elizabeth. The uh, season three of of that will be coming up. Also, season four of Deep Faith Nine will be returning in February as well. We'll be delving further into the MCU, taking on some movies um, and exploring them. And uh, we'd love to hear from you what you would like to hear from us. If you've got some favourite nexus points between faith and fiction that you'd like us to explore, then please give us uh, a message, let us know. And don't forget that you can be a supporter of Never Odd or Even by going to uh, Never Odd or Even Media on Patreon and supporting us there. So, from Will Nicholas, Never Odd or Even, 
wishing you a very, very wonderful uh, season of uh, celebration uh, and holidays and restful time. And I'll see you again next year. For never odd or even.